Amen. Amen. Please do take a seat and grab a Bible and your seat behind you or in front of you. Let's turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, and uh, we'll read from verse 18. This is how the birth of Christ, Jesus Christ, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Charlie. Come and join us. Thanks, Quinn. Good evening, everyone. promise I won't make any jokes about the piano catching fire. <laughs> Did you try lighting those bad boys, Quinn? Was that uh, a bit too risky? Yeah, no, it was melting the piano. <laughs> um, this story was all about the nativity play, wasn't it? Joseph. Anybody here by way of hands? How many of us have been in a nativity play? Come on, there must be quite a good number of us. I thought there might have been. I don't often put it on my CV, but... Um, my proudest moments was being Joseph in the nativity play, aged about five or six, and uh, the peak of my acting career. It really is. Where do you go after Joseph? Kind of all downhill. He's really the main boy's part in the nativity play, isn't he? Apart from Jesus, obviously. But he doesn't normally tend to get played by a human being. Uh, but, um, so I love the character of Joseph. But as I thought about it this week, really it's kind of struck me that Joseph is kind of the boring one in the nativity play. He's He's just a bit rubbish. He doesn't really do anything. He's, he hasn't really got the comedy value of sort of the shepherds or the exotic mystique of the wise men. Uh, he just really doesn't, especially compared to Mary, he doesn't really do anything at all. You know, when new fathers uh, get congratulated, quite often they say, well, you know, of course it was all her. I didn't really do very much at all, which was especially true in Joseph's uh, case. <laughs> <coughs> Congratulations, Joseph. No, I literally didn't do anything. Imagine having to explain that to everybody. It must be so awkward. I mean, Joseph, he really is a bit the rubbish character. It's not very glamorous. You wouldn't want to be Joseph if you could choose to be any Bible character. You wouldn't want to be him. He never even makes it onto the Christmas cards. You know, have you ever seen a Christmas card with, with Joseph on? Of course he's in the group photo. But you, <laughs> but you never see a close-up shot of just him and the baby. You see Mary and Jesus, but you don't see Joseph, you know, proud dad holding his boy. And you don't ever sing about him in Christmas carols. Can you remember? I don't remember ever singing about Joseph in any Christmas carols. Of course, Mary, you know, she gets a mention all the time. You know, Mary was that mother maud, Jesus Christ, the little child. But where was Joseph? Nobody ever remembers him, do they? Where was he? Stood at the back of the stable, arms folded, looking a bit miffed. <laughs> having to make awkward small talk with a shepherd. <laughs> Welcome, pull up a hay bale. It must have just been a little bit awkward. You know, while three sort of weirdos from the Orient just crowd around his wife, just happen to show up, the more the merrier. <laughs> Poor Joseph. And, then, and, you know, he just gets written pretty much straight out of the script as soon as Christmas is over. You know, when Jesus is a grown-up, there's no longer any need for Joseph. He doesn't get a mention in the rest of the Gospels uh, at all. Yeah, you hear about Mary, you know, Jesus with his mother and brothers, and Mary was there at the cross. And then down the centuries, Mary has gone on to such extraordinary levels of acclaim and adoration 
But you never hear anything about Joseph. I mean, you'd have thought being Jesus' dad ought to count for something. But no, he's just a bit ordinary. And actually, it's kind of this ordinariness about Joseph, which is what kind of really, he appeals to me. I quite like Joseph's sort of normalness. In all of the amazing things which happen during the Christmas story, Joseph is kind of just gets caught up in it all. And he's, we can kind of identify with him. We can almost see himself, ourselves in his shoes. Because it seems to me that Joseph is just an ordinary bloke who wants to do the right thing, but he requires a bit of convincing. And that might be some of us here this evening. Maybe we're just ordinary people. We want to do the right thing, but we just require a little bit of convincing. You know, because the story that happened, the things that happened to Joseph were pretty amazing. We'll just run through one or two of them, uh, the things that he had to be convinced of. And firstly, the unusual nature of the pregnancy, which is unusual. And it's a surprise. We come to it as modern readers, and it is a surprise, you know, the, the nature of the pregnancy. And it was a surprise to Joseph then. Well, I think that sometimes people just assume that people in the olden days just sort of believed anything. You know, that ancient people sort of had all these crazy, weird, and wonderful beliefs that we now know to be nonsense, you know, with the help of rational thought and science and logic and reason and modernity. We now know, you know, rational explanations for things like headaches don't come from evil spirits. We know there's a perfectly rational explanation for getting a headache and there's a perfectly rational explanation uh, for getting pregnant. And so uh, modern readers might think when they come to this, well, we know what really happened there. My, um, you know, one of my friend of mine who, he likes to be a bit provocative about this sort of thing. And he posted on Facebook a picture of uh, Mary and Jesus, and it said, and it just said, um, the caption was Christianity, one woman's lie about an affair that just got way out of hand. I wonder if you've ever heard that Christianity, one uh, Christmas, one woman's lie about an affair that just got way out of hand. You know, it's as, as though Joseph was some sort of idiot, as though he was gullible, as though he just sort of believe anything. You know, well, I just think that actually, although they might not have had modern science 2,000 years ago, Joseph had a pretty basic grasp of biology, and he knew exactly what had happened. Actually, the Bible doesn't say that he just believed the story hook, line, and sinker. It says that he was going to divorce her. You know, people didn't believe in virgin births then any more than they do now. It wasn't a very normal thing to happen at all. It wasn't just the sort of thing that happened in the olden days. It was unprecedented, and Joseph didn't believe it. He was planning to divorce her. A lot of people are surprised when they find out that that's in the Christmas story. Joseph was going to divorce Mary. Yeah, because he found it tough to believe. You know, he, um, he was going to divorce her quietly, the, the reading said. Um, he wasn't going to cause a scene. That would have been the, the normal thing, would have been the public trial, you know, sexual promiscuity taken very seriously. And so there would have been a public trial. And actually, Mary might have been lucky uh, not to have been stoned. So he didn't want to sort of, you know, go that far. Joseph might have been a nice guy, uh, but he wasn't an idiot, he just wanted to do the right thing. He was just a normal bloke, wanted to do the right thing. And he didn't believe it at first. And that might be us here. Now, can I say the reason why Joseph found the story of the virgin birth difficult to believe, the reason why is that we all know you can't get something from nothing. You never get something from nothing. That's just impossible. Everything happens for a reason. Everything has to have a cause. And um, if I might just be a little bit provocative for a second myself, Um, you might say that all of us actually believe in a virgin birth of one form or another. All of us here, all of us in this room, whether we're Christian or not, we all believe in a virgin birth. Either we believe the virgin birth of Christ, as the Christmas story traditionally tells it, the very Son of God entering the universe and bending the rules of how people normally get born on his way in, just as he bent the rules of how people live all the way through his life, and just as he bent the rules of death and broke them. 
Uh, we even believe the virgin birth of Christ, or we might reject that God and believe that everything comes from nothing. Absolutely everything that we see came from nowhere. So that several billion years ago, there was nothing, literally nothing, and then slightly fewer billion years ago, uh, there was something from nowhere, from nothing. Ex nihilo, out of nothing, you might say technically, from which everything came. Planets and stars and galaxies and solar systems and mountains and oceans and deserts and turkeys and pigs and blankets and Christmas pudding and brandy butter, everything from literally nowhere. The virgin birth of the cosmos, you might say. Well, I wonder which of those two you are this evening. And perhaps you're just an ordinary person, just want to do the right thing, but require a little bit of convincing, a bit like Joseph. And you might say, well, I'd love to be able to believe the traditional story of Christmas. You know, I often hear people say that. I'd love to have, I'd love to have your faith. Uh, but Joseph required convincing. And you might say, well, yeah, Joseph was convinced. He had a visit from an angel to convince him. You know, if I had a visit from an angel, well, then perhaps sceptical old me might even be convinced. I say, well, maybe. But actually, I want to say that having a visit from an angel might not be all as convincing as you might think. I think if you give it a minute's thought, you might agree with me. I don't think visits from angels, supernatural perhaps experiences, aren't really that helpful because they only really convince the person who has the experience. They don't convince everybody. You know, I think, for example, of your best friend. If, they, if you saw them tomorrow and they said, I've had this supernatural experience, I had a visit from an angel and they've told me the truth, would you believe them? Probably not. They might be really convinced. They're not going to convince anyone else. You know, think in this point in the story, Mary had already had her own visit from an angel by this stage. Was Joseph convinced? No. So Joseph needed special convincing. But the visit from an angel only convinces that person who has the... And, and it's fair to say, we've joked already about the fact that um, Joseph was in the rather unique and unenviable situation of requiring special convincing. I mean, he had to be convinced. God had to convince him because otherwise it wouldn't have been a very good story. So if anybody deserves a visit from an angel and a supernatural encounter, well, then he's probably the person. But actually today, I don't think that those kinds of experiences, although they do happen, they aren't the normal pattern for how normally people who just want to do the right thing but require a bit of convincing get convinced. Because visits from angels aren't particularly independently verifiable, are they? I mean, if I say, um, well, I've had a visit from an angel and they, they've told me this, and you say, well, I had a visit from an angel and they told me the total opposite. Whose angel are you going to go with? Well, thank God that actually he has chosen himself to reveal himself to us uh, not through such flimsy means as visits from angels in dreams, but with words written down by witnesses which we can read and test and which are open to all the usual avenues of intellectual inquiry to which we can subject them. So if you're somebody who just requires a little bit of convincing, well, actually, we can just read what happened and we can pray that the Spirit of God, if there is a God, might help us to be convinced and to have faith. And actually, God has been pleased uh, throughout the centuries to convince thousands and millions and billions of people who were skeptical of the truth of Christmas by his Holy Spirit. And if that's you... Well, perhaps, as we've already heard, there are plenty of opportunities next year to come along and to open the Bible and to be convinced of some of these truths and to allow yourself uh, maybe to uh, believe some of these things. Come along and do the Alpha course. If you've never done an Alpha course, sign yourself up and you'll open the Bible and you'll be able to test these things. And if you do, I think that 
you might see that um, the most extraordinary thing in this story that required convincing of, more uh, amazing than the story of the virgin birth, more amazing than the story of the angel, was not how Jesus came, but why he came. The last verse that we had read for us was that uh, the angel said to Joseph, and you'll give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And why does saving people from their sins mean that he has to be named Jesus? It's some sort of Jewish pun. I don't really get it either. It's apparently in Hebrew, Jesus sounds like he will save. But he's, the angel in that moment is telling Joseph, not that Jesus will come. Not that he will come just to be a nice man. Not that he will come just to be a good moral teacher. Not that he will come just to be a nice example for us all to follow. Not that he will come to be a healer or a teacher, although he was all of those things. But that he would come to be a saviour. That he would come to die that he was coming to the cross. And Joseph might have been thinking, well, hang on a minute, we haven't even had Christmas yet, and you're already starting to think about Easter. But as we were reminded last week, how do we begin the celebration of Christmas? Traditionally, it's with communion at midnight. As we begin the day where we celebrate Jesus' birth, we're remembering by his body and his blood, with the bread and the wine, uh, the way that we've been given to remember his death. He's a saviour, and he's come to save us from our sin. And he can be your saviour. And so if you're just an ordinary sort of person, just wants to do the right thing, a bit like Joseph, a normal bloke, require a bit of convincing. Or perhaps you should think about doing that in the new year. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for Joseph, the ordinary man. And the way that you revealed yourself to him. And the way that you used him as part of your story. And Lord, we do just pray that you would help us to be convinced of these things. We thank you that Jesus, not that he just came, but that he came to die and he came to save us from our sins. And we give you thanks for that salvation this evening. Amen.